gonna be a little different than our normal services. We are entering into John 19. John 19 is all about the cross. We wanna give the cross its deserving attention this morning. And so normally we'll do worship and then uh, a pastor will come up with a message, but today it's gonna be different. We wanna weave together a song, how deep the Father's love for us, the reading of John 19 and just observations from John 19 so that you and I can walk away with a deeper appreciation of who Jesus is. So let's pray together. Lord, I just ask that you would show yourself in a real way to us. We weren't there over 2,000 years ago, but Lord, would you bring us into your presence this morning so that we could feel like we were. Help us to be someone on the sidelines just watching this along the way to see, God, what you have done, not just 2,000 years ago, but for us this morning. Make the cross a reality in our lives today, Jesus. In your name, amen. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across his face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, Bar Allah, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, You would have no power over me, all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down in the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now the noon. It was about. It was now about noon on the day of the preparation for the Passover, and Pilate said to the people, "Look, here is your king. Away with him!" They yelled, "Away with him! Crucify him!" What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned to Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. When you hear that read, when you experience what Jesus experienced here, it's startling that this man who claims to be God is whisked away and beaten like that. And not only is he beaten, they take a crown of thorns and they shove it upon his head. And then they drape a purple robe, which signifies kingdom, royalty, around Jesus. And they sarcastically say a name that they would attach to Jesus here. And it's this, hail, oops, sorry, let me go back here. Hail, king of the Jews. 
They didn't say this because they really believed it. They said so because Jesus thinks he's a king, but the Jews rejected him as a king. Here you have Jesus who was predicted from a long time ago to be the king of the Jews, the Messiah. When the wise man heard that Jesus was born, they declared, here is the king of the Jews. And throughout his life, people thought, is he really the king of the Jews? Meaning, hopefully, he is the man who's going to come in power and reign and rule over our people so that we can defeat the Roman government. But Jesus, as the Messiah, never wanted to be that kind of king. He came as a spiritual king. He came to us as Lord and Savior. But his own people rejected him. They rejected him instead of giving him his due to worship him. And if that scene isn't enough, where Jesus is beaten, placed with a crown of thorns, mocked by being called king of the Jews, something else happens that not even Pilate himself could see coming. We read this. There we go. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have, n- we have no king but Caesar, they, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. So here's Jesus, who's already been beaten, already been humiliated. And all of a sudden, they yell, crucify him. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst kind of criminals. The Jewish law said it also could be used for anyone claiming to be God. And the Jews heard that Jesus claimed to be God. And instead of seeing if it's true, instead of seeing if this really is their king, the Messiah, they decided to betray him. They decided to crucify him. Who would have ever thought that? How could they have done that to him? Jesus between them. And Pilate 
Close to the sign on the cross it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from King of the Jews to, he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate replied, No. What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among them, among the four of them. They also took a rope, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfills the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross where Jesus' mother was and his sis mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. When we read about the scene, we see that it says Jesus' clothes were divided among those who were crucifying him. But as we read that, there's a statement that I want to look at with you today. It says this, This fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. Throughout the Gospels, especially at the end of Jesus' life, you're going to see phrases that say, this fulfilled the scripture. And the reason for that is we see all the way through the Jewish scriptures, prophecies that Jesus himself came to fulfill, predictions that only the Messiah could complete with his life. It says Jesus came and did those very things. But why does that matter? Why does it matter that Jesus fulfilled these scriptures with his life, especially at the end of his life? D.A. Carson, he puts it this way. All of the details of the Messiah's life, ministry, death, and exaltation are in conformity with the Father's plan. In other words, these things that Jesus fulfilled, Jesus knew he would come to do that. Though what he was going through is horrific pain, and what he will go through in the next moment, separation from God, there is nothing worse than that. But what Jesus says is, look, the beating, separation from God, it's terrible, but it was all to fulfill God's plan. It was to fulfill God's plan from the beginning so that, yes, he would get glory so people could see God and say, wow, he is amazing. But it was also for our good that he could give us what we could never earn for ourselves. Another scene here that I really struggle with because of the magnitude is when Jesus is on the cross. He's in inexplicable pain and he looks down and he sees his mother who also is in such torturous pain watching her son be crucified on the cross. And it says this, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. Those words, Jesus saw his mother, 
of all the things that are happening, within the chaos, Jesus looks at his mother. He sees her pain. He recognizes what she is going through and wants to use John as somebody to say, John, even though I may be gone, I want you to take care of my mother. I want you to be there for her because I can't anymore. And when I read that about Jesus, he's not only just a good son who cares about his mother. It's an indication that though Jesus was in pain, he still sees others who are in pain as well. And he, when we, were, when we are in pain, he looks down, even though he's in pain, and he can see us in our pain as well. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're struggling with, Jesus sees you. He wraps his arms around you. And what's so beautiful, he doesn't leave us alone. He gives us brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, to wrap our arms around each other in the valley of the shadow of death so that we know God is real and his presence is real through us. In his darkest moments, he saw his mother. And in his darkest moments, he sees you. Let me read the next verses to you. John 19, 28 through 30. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. And so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head gave up his spirit. When you look across the landscape of the four gospels, you see that in Jesus's last time here, breathing on earth, he utters seven different phrases. And one of those phrases seems a little odd or out of place. It's what he says here in verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. If you go back to John chapter 4, a few weeks ago we looked at the story of the woman at the well. Jesus comes to this woman and he offers her living water. 
And the reason he refers to himself and what he has to offer as living water is because he knows deep down we need something that will quench our cosmic thirst. He knew deep within our souls, which is the deepest part of who we are, so often our souls, they're parched, they're thirsty. And the reason that is, is because we go to so many things thinking that this will be it. This will quench my thirst. Things like money, or sex, or success, or what the phone says, or what the mirror says. Those kinds of things that we go to that says, that will satisfy me. It never does. It leaves us more thirsty in the end. And sure, for a while, we can keep taking sips, but you have to go back to the well. And eventually, the well goes dry. And then what do you do? Jesus comes along and says, I am the living water. And you fast forward 15 chapters later. There he is on the cross, and he says, I am thirsty. And then they give him sour wine as something to drink. When you and I are thirsty... I doubt that, he, that you would want sour wine. But he thirsts. He wants something to drink. And one of the reasons he does that is because Jesus thirsts just like we do. Sure, they gave him sour wine, and we'll get to that in a moment. But he thirsts like we do, which means he is human like we are. All of the struggles that you have, because you are human, Jesus, even on the cross, shows that he has those same desires, those same struggles as well. If he's thirsty, he needs something to drink. If he grieves, he cries. If he suffers, he cries out. The same way you and I walk through this world with the needs and desires within, it's exactly the way that Jesus does. He thirsts to identify with us, to say, I Thirst, just like you thirst. What's so amazing about this? He also thirsts so we never have to. Jesus is given this sour wine, and I can't imagine the flavor, the taste that would have been. But he does that to say every time you and I take a drink and we think it'll satisfy us, it's really like our souls are receiving sour wine. Though in the moment it may give you something, in the end it always leaves you bitter and needing more because it never satisfies. So Jesus says, give me the sour wine and I will drink of that. And in exchange, I will give you the living water. I will give you a stream in your soul that will never run dry. I will give you all that you need and it's found in me. And the reason, the reason that we know this to be true, the reason we don't have to thirst anymore, the reason we can guarantee, not just in this life, but the life to come, that we will always be quenched in our soul, is when Jesus says, it is finished. And when he says those words, he dies, he gives up his spirit. The Greek word for it is finished is the phrase tetelestai. That word tetelestai in the Greco-Roman world was used after a bill was paid. They would stamp tetelestai right on a bill that said, it is finished, it is paid, it is complete. No more debt, you have paid it off. 
And when we read that, it is finished. It's the same word that Jesus says as he hangs his head and he gives up his spirit. And he does that for two reasons. It is finished. Everything that you have read in the Jewish scriptures have been fulfilled. They've been completed in me. There is no more. I have done it all. And just as importantly, he looks at every one of us and says, it is finished, which means the payment for our sin, the payment to overcome death itself has been stamped and paid in full. Which means that you don't have to earn God's love because God earned that for us in Jesus. We don't have to worry about, am I doing too many bad things to stay out of heaven or am I doing enough to get into heaven? Because when Jesus says, it is finished, he says, all of the work to get in heaven, I have done. You only have to follow me. You don't have to tip the scales in God's favor hoping he lets you in someday. Because when Jesus says it is finished, there is no scale. It is finished. It is complete. He has done for you and he's done for me what we can never do for ourselves. John 19, verses 31 to 33. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath, because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken, then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one they pierced. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jesus' burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, 
And since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. To make sure that Jesus was officially dead, a soldier took a spear and thrust it in his side. And yes, blood came pouring out, but also water, which signifies that someone has died. After we read that gruesome but true detail, John says these words in verse 35. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate, uh, uh, eyewitness giving an accurate statement. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. John says that someone was there. Many people were there, but someone was there, and he records that in his gospel. Now, scholars are all over the place who this someone could be. It could have been John himself referring to himself in the third person. It could have been another eyewitness that John got a report from after he wrote his gospel. There is reports out there, scholars say, that could have been the Roman soldier himself who told John, I was there, and it happened. But regardless, we know there were people there that saw this. This was a historical fact. You can't argue that Jesus wasn't alive and that he died because eyewitnesses were there. They shared it with John. They shared it with others. And John says the reason this matters is because those who couldn't be there could read this and know that it is true that people can believe that what happened is real. Now, I know in our culture, there are a lot of reasons why people don't believe in God. I imagine there's some of you here that would put yourself in that camp. You may say you're an atheist or an agnostic for various reasons. And oftentimes, those are really good reasons. Reasons like intellectual doubts because of faith and science. Or reasons that the church has failed you. Or you don't think you need God in your life. And so you have come to that point where you say God isn't real. Or if he's real, I don't know if I can know him or if I need him. And what's so interesting is so often I will engage with people and say, tell me about the God that you believe in. Tell me about the God that you think the Bible portrays. And so often... Some of what they say is true, but often it doesn't paint the whole picture. It's kind of what Tim Keller says. Describe the God you've rejected. Describe the God you don't believe in, and maybe I don't believe that God either. In our culture, we get who God is very confused. We borrow from different religions, borrow from different spiritualities, put it all together, and say, here's who God is. But if you describe that God to me, I probably wouldn't believe it either. And John says, look, You don't have to believe what I am writing, but I have written this account, especially this part in the end, so that in the end you do believe. Just read it and see what it does within your soul. See how your soul flutters when you hear the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. John says, I'm not going to argue with you. I am not going to convince you. I'm going to write what is true, and then you can decide if you want to believe or not. And when you look at John's gospel, He writes the truth about a God who left the comforts of this heaven to come to this messed up, broken world. This God walked the same path that you and I walk. He performs miracles, not just to perform miracles within themselves, but to point to a God that cares about them, that he has brought the kingdom here. John writes about people who were excluded from society, that nobody wanted them, that Jesus went and brought them into his inner circle. 
He writes about people who have given up on religion but haven't given up on Jesus. He writes about a man who was arrested, a man who was crucified, a man who died, had a spear thrust through his ribs. He writes about a man who was buried and three days later rose again. He writes about a man who changed John's life, who changed the disciples' life. He talks about a man who leaves people here to be his witnesses to the world. He talks about a man who is still alive today, that he is truth. And if you believe in him, if you believe in him, you have life for eternity. He thirsts so you don't have to. It is finished. He has accomplished for you what we can never accomplish for ourselves. And though it was horrific for Jesus, it was good for us. And I hope, unlike the Jews who mocked him, we will worship him. So stand with us. I will not boast. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. Is Hey, my.